Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, around the world, internet church service. I'm so happy that you're here, and I believe that God's Word will build you up to do what He's called you to do, and very importantly, to also be the person that He has called you to be, and we're actually going to talk about some of that today. But first, let's honor the Lord by bringing the holy tithes and offerings into the storehouse of God, and look at this amazing scripture, Luke chapter 22, verse 35. This would be Jesus talking, and he said to them, to his apostles, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? In other words, he sent them out with bare bone basics, nothing extra. Not even any money. Wow, incredible. He sent them out. He commissioned them. It was an apostolic venture. He, he sent them out. He said, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they went out. They were not sponsored by IBM. They were not sponsored by Exxon. They went out. They were not sponsored by uh, an uncle or family members. They were commissioned and sponsored by the Lord. Praise God. Now, he asked them, did you lack anything? So they said, nothing. Who? glory to God. I hear you making the same positive confession of God's reliability, of God's faithfulness to watch over his word and perform it. God's faithfulness to his covenant, God's faithfulness to your obedience so that you will have the same response, regardless of what is going on in the world of any economic duress or financial stress that would be that be out there on the planet. And we know it's out there. I see you exempted because of the covenant. And I see you also being able to say, we have no lack Woo, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Doesn't mean that your faith will not be tested. Your faith will be tested. But as you stand in the word and apply covenant principles and only engage in assignments that the Lord has endorsed or ordained for you to be involved in, you also will say, no lack, no lack. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and say it. Say, we lack nothing. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I declare and decree that because you are a covenant child of God, that your days of lack are over. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's another verification of that same will of God for you to walk in a place where you don't have lack. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. And God is able. Now, when you read that word able in the Greek, it also implies willing. And God is able and willing to make all grace abound towards you. Now, this is not just grace for forgiveness of sins. This is grace in a context of God's grace touching you in your area of your finances. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, mm -hmm, that you watching right now, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good 
work. Ooh, praise the Lord. Amen. Every time there is a good work that God places before you and says, I want you involved in that. You'll always have something. It may not be a million dollars, but it always will be something. And I just decree over you that you'll have such a place of overflow that you would listen to me. You would never have less than $100 to give into something special. Praise God. And when the Lord would highlight something, you say, I'm going to have a part of that. The Holy Spirit's moving me. And you would always have extra abundance. And he says, always having all sufficiency, always having, always having, regardless of layoffs, regardless of uh, the, the recession, regardless of famine, regardless of flood, hurricanes, whatever, always having, I see you always having everything you need. Praise the Lord. Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance. Ooh, God wants you always to be in overflow. Your needs met lacking nothing and being in a place of uh, abundance or overflow. Why? For every good work. Praise the Lord. Now, in context, that, that would be the good work that God places before you because there's a million good works out there. But the ones that he links you to by the Holy Spirit, I see you always being able to respond. Praise the Lord. And I see, of course, many of you, uh, you know, going way beyond the ability to just exercise your strength in giving with $100, although that is certainly a blessing. Praise the Lord. But I see the Lord lifting many of you up into, into realms of financial strength where you're able to make a mighty impact for the furtherance of God's kingdom in the earth. Say this, say no lack ever again. Mm -mm. Say it again. Say no lack ever again in my life. And some of you are businessmen, businesswomen, and you need to make that confession over your business. No lack ever again in your business. Praise the Lord. Always in the clear, always in a place of overflow. More coming in than what is going out. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And I see that. I see that in your life. Now, with that spirit of faith, honor the Lord and bring the tithe into the storehouse, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And we honor him by blessing him with the tithe, which is 10% of all of our increase, 10%. But we also see in scripture, the value of sowing seed or giving offerings so that the Lord has the ability to multiply the seed that we sow and produce a harvest of blessing in our lives. And I encourage you to do that as well. Now, for those of you that want to bring it in over the internet, your tithes and offerings, you can do so. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage, a tab that says give. It has a red heart on it. Click that and it will take you right to the necessary link, the appropriate link where you can bring your tithes and you can also give an offering. So seed right there on that link. Praise God. It's safe and secure. You can do it from anywhere in the world. Praise God. Now, those of you that prefer to mail your tithes and offerings in, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28. 
654. Praise the Lord. And our ministry center here is right next to the post office. Praise God. So your, your mail is uh, checked and picked up every day. Praise God that the post office is open. Glory to God. Now, Father, bless your people. Let them also know that unshakable covenant that when the Lord commissions and we're on assignment and, in, and we're about your business, there's no lack. There's no lack. Now, Father, let them know that same, that same strength of the covenant touching their finances so that they can say the same thing. We, we've lacked nothing. Now, Father, I thank you also for blessing them to be in abundance and overflow so they always have the ability to sow seed for those special needs that you bring before uh, their attention. Father, we give you all of the praise, and we thank you for such a covenant like this that you allow us to engage you with. Wow, we thank you for it. We thank you for your strength in our finances. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. My friends, before we jump into the message, can't you see that the covenant is not for the Lord's benefit? As if you're sitting up in heaven saying, I need some more money. Throw me some more money up. <laughs> no. The covenant is for our benefit. The Lord makes the possibility for us to engage Him with this covenant. Uh, he makes it for our benefit. Thank you, Jesus. You enter into a covenant with someone. Why? They have something that you don't have that you need. They have a strength that you need. Now, we also have something that the Lord needs in the sense that uh, we have uh, His heart, and we have a heart to do His will. So that gives Him the ability to work through us as channels of blessing, uh, as ambassadors of Christ within the earth. But trust me, the, the, the primary beneficiary of this covenant is us. <laughs> the Lord is doing really well financially. This covenant of blessing, this covenant of increase is for our benefit. And what a privilege to be able to walk in it. So Father, bless your people. I thank you that they are covenant people enjoying prosperity, just like Abraham did, just like Isaac did, reaping the 100-fold return, even during a time of financial destitution in the land. We thank you, Father, that we are covenant people in Jesus' name. One more time we shout and say, Amen. Praise God. Let's go to the book of Numbers today and look at a message that, or a subject that I think has probably been preached by many good ministers many times. And I've, I've shared on this before, but I felt led of the Holy Spirit that we need to touch this subject again. We know that the Israelites... They had this situation of the grasshopper mentality. We need to look at it because the last thing that we want to be doing is talking and acting like grasshoppers, seeing ourselves as grasshoppers, and thus missing out on the promised land that the Lord has made available for us to go into and possess. Praise God. So we need to talk about this today and the determining factor really that makes all the difference, and that would be the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we go into your word, we do ask for the quickening power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that while we use our intellects, there are some things that unless your Holy Spirit reveals it to us, we just can't grasp it, even if we're smarter than Einstein. So, oh God, let your Holy Spirit come in this message, 
upon this word and illuminate the scriptures to our understanding so that we can walk in these truths and enjoy the tremendous benefits of feasting upon your word. We thank you in Jesus name. We say, amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. Today we are in numbers chapter 13. Obviously the Lord likes math. He likes numbers. He wrote a book called numbers numbers chapter 13. And let's, let's go all the way down to verse 17 and check out the spies going into the promised land. And we understand, of course, that heaven is not the promised land. Sometimes I've heard saints, believers say, one day when I die, I'll cross the Jordan and go into my promised land. I'll be in the Canaan land. Well, that's not a scriptural statement. Now, I understand what they mean by that. But you understand that the Canaan land or the promised land was, was full of the enemies of God. <laughs> And, and so that meant warfare and, and battles and stuff like that. So that can't be a, a symbolic typology of heaven, because when you get to heaven, uh, you're in a place of total perfection. Praise the Lord. There's no more war. There's no more battle. Praise God. So we have to possess our promised land, not when we get to heaven. We possess it here in this lifetime. So it's time that we stay busy on it. Verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. And I would, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Get in your car, drive around. If you don't have a car, just walk. Praise God. Walk, look, see what's out there and find out what your possession is, not just uh, not just spiritually, of course, but even physically, those things that God would have for you in this life to take a hold of. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go to verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. Well, I've seen some pretty big grapes before and some pretty big clusters of grapes, but I've never seen one so big that you've got to have two men carry it on a pole. I tell you what, this is some seriously blessed fertile land. Mm -mm. It's exactly what they're looking for. And it's exactly what they're desiring. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster, which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Well, of course, later, uh, we know they're not going to enter in. We know, we know they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were out there taking their journey. So they're, uh, they're going to probably, in hindsight, which, uh, wish that the spies had not taken so long. <laughs> Maybe 10 days instead of 40. But it is what it is. Can't be changed now. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Mm -mm. Boy, I'd been excited. I know you would have been too. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And I believe that the promises that God has for you 
uh, although they, you maybe you're not like so much in agriculture or land ownership, but I will say to you that it's enough to put a smile on your face. Mm-mm. Yes, it's good. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. My friends, we're not like uh, escapist in the sense where uh, we, we believe God for things, but, you know, we just like, oh, you know, it's too hard, so we'll just pull back. No, we are people that are aware of the challenges and the difficult realities that we face to get where we're supposed to go. But with Christ, we can do all things, praise the Lord, all things that he's assigned us to all things that He has promised us, all things that pertain to our inheritance. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we don't need to overanalyze. We do need to be aware, but we don't need to uh, get into this paralysis of analysis, get into fear. We need to go. Mm-mm. So really, the Word of the Lord is the determining factor. And the Lord said, hey, I've given you this land. Go up and possess it. Okay, well, we checked it out. Yep, got a lot of obstacles, but let's not overanalyze all this. Let's just get busy doing what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you will start to take the land. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, Jebusites. And you know the story, all of the ites that gave all of the difficulties. So the people are getting upset. The Israelites are hearing all of this, and uh, they're, they're starting to get nervous. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And they were. They were. So we know that Joshua and Caleb had a spirit of faith. Wow. Mm-hmm. And either you have it or you don't. And you can get around some Christians that are, they're like little, they're like a little mouse or something like that. And uh, they have a different version of life. It's whatever will be, will be. And so they're open to whatever life hits them with. And you know what? You have to be in faith and you have to be on target and be on assignment and get busy, get going. Don't just wander through life. No, you have a destiny and a purpose. Praise the Lord. And you mean business about it. So the spirit of faith. And the Apostle Paul also talked about the spirit of faith. And he said, we preach the word of faith, not a word of unbelief, not a word of, well, I just hope it all works out. No, a word of faith. Praise God. Mm-mm. And that, that enables you, of course, to overcome all the ites. The problem is not the ites. The problem is the unbelief, the doubt. So you got to get moving. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. But the men who had gone up with him said, that would be the other spies, the other ten, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. King James Version says they gave an evil report, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Well, obviously not, because they went through it. They They didn't get devoured. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Well, not all of them. Certainly some of them were, but not all of them. So here we have this already exaggerated fear and uh, going over into exaggeration. Uh, you know, and that, that starts to go through people that are already really not well grounded, and it's not good. So we see verse 33, the classic verse. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak come, uh, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So how you view yourself 
In many ways, it's going to resonate with others. They're going to pick up on that, and they're going to view you the way that you view yourself. Praise the Lord. Now, when you're walking in the spirit of faith, they pick up on that. But if you are a person that has a victim mentality, and you're, you're a wounded type person, or maybe you're a weak type person, and you're way back at the back of the pack type person, uh, those are the ones that the wolves tried to pick off. And you actually see that as the children of Israel later are going to wander in the wilderness desert for 40 years. It was those in the back oftentimes that would get hit by these ambushes, you know, cause they're not going to mess with the guys up front in the, you know, the warriors up front. But as, uh, as the train went by, so to speak, the ones in the back, they're having a hard time keeping up the elderly or the weak, or, you know, maybe the doubters and the powders and the murmurs that really are not into this journey. They're getting, they're getting hit with arrows and picked off or getting attacked and things like that. So you have to be very, very careful the way that you view yourself. And when the anointing of Christ the power of the Holy Spirit touches your mind. And when you consume and digest the Word of God, that's the anointed Word of God. I'm not just talking about old, dry, dead religious study, you know, that, uh, you know, kind of buries you six feet under while you're still you're alive. But I'm talking about when that anointing of the Spirit touches your mind, um, the first thing that starts getting blasted out of your soul is that goofy old grasshopper mentality. Now, we're not talking about. Uh, you know, uh, an over self-confidence uh, in your own self, but you're, you're acknowledging that you are in Christ and because you're in Christ and that's who you're identifying your strength or your foundation as being, it produces a remarkable boldness. Some people uh, that don't understand it could possibly mistake it for maybe arrogance or pride or something like that. But it doesn't carry itself with a, um, with a bad attitude like pride and arrogance does. It's, in other words, it's not haughty. It's not like that. But it is very bold, and that's why some aren't quite sure how to identify it that aren't familiar with the things of the Spirit. But, my friends, we see that they had drifted into a grasshopper mentality. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. That's awful. That's an awful statement. Thank God it's recorded in the Bible so that we never make the same mistake. You need to know your value. You need to know how uh, much worth you have in Christ. You need to understand that Jesus would have come to the earth to redeem you if you were the only one that was lost. If you were a sinner and you were the only sinner, uh, he would have laid his life down to redeem you. Praise the Lord. But of course, we know that we've all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So he came to offer his life for a sacrifice who, uh, for all who would ever live upon the earth. And we have received his sacrifice. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Mm -mm. A bully, uh, an, an intimidator, uh, actually takes pleasure in, uh, in picking on the weak. Why? They know that they can push them around. But even if a person is weak, if they stand up and they're strong, in other words, they let the bully know, hey, maybe you are bigger, maybe you are stronger, but I'm not a pushover. And, uh, you know, you don't have eyes in the back of your head. So you just, you know, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to just lay down and let you do that to me. So they, they can read that. They can sense that. 
I've told the story before about Kenneth Hagin, the great minister of God's Word, and he talked about the time when he was young and he had the incurable heart condition, and it left him very frail, very weak. Eventually, he had to drop out of school. But when he was in school, he was always underweight, he was always pale, and he looked very sick because he was sick. And there, there was a bully, seems like there always is, and there was a bully that was, uh, you know, he'd just kind of push kids around. Well, he, he would push Kenneth Hagin around, and one day he just pushed him down. And Kenneth Hagin can't do anything. He was so weak as a little child. But um, Kenneth Hagin one day uh, got tired, fed up with that, and even as a child said, you know, I'm not going to be a pushover. So although he was very weak, he brought a hammer to class and snuck up behind the bully while the bully was sitting down and hit that other kid, the big bully, hit him over the head with a hammer, totally knocked him out. Because that kid may have a strong head, but it's not as strong as steel. <laughs> now, of course, Brother Hagin wasn't saying that was the right thing to do, but he was saying that he had this thing in him even since he was young because he was always cast as an underdog because of that heart disease. That Something just said, I'm not going to be pushed around. I'm not dead yet, basically. So I think, I think that when you have that in you, uh, the adversary knows that. And it's good to have that. And so we were in their sight just like grasshoppers. Well, that's not going to be your testimony. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. By the way, look at uh, chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation, now that would be several million people, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. There's a biblical weeping. There's a biblical sorrow. And then there's one that is just totally in the flesh. It's a total waste of time. It's a wrong reaction. It's something that you don't need to be into, and you need somebody to pull you out of it uh, should you ever drift over into that spot. And the whole nation has gone into that except just for a few people. And they're weeping and crying and all that murmuring and complaining. Be very, very careful. If you get out of that spirit of faith and you start getting into this grasshopper mentality and you think that you have no worth, you think that you have no value, and uh, you start thinking that, and then others pick up on that, and they're happy to oblige you and saying, yeah, you're, yeah you're, you're, just, you're just taking up space, and you're sucking air, and you're wasting everybody's time. We just, you just get out of here. And so there are plenty of people that are happy not to pat you on the back, but to uh, pile on condemnation and a, uh, you know, a voice of shame and so forth. So verse 2, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, Basically saying, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. So now they're into this big sob story. My friends, don't ever get into that. that uh, that's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, reverse just as fast as you can. If you ever find yourself getting into this like real bad negative mode, and now you're criticizing everything around you, criticizing the circumstances, criticizing leaders, back out of that quickly, quickly. What's happened? The grasshopper has hijacked your mindset. Now you're thinking just like a, an old silly grasshopper. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, grasshoppers have interesting characteristics. They actually have five eyes. They have two primary eyes up front, and they've got these three other eyes. Actually, two on the kind of sides, and then three that are looking forward. But even with five eyes, they can't see very good straight ahead. For some reason, and I'm sure many of you have noticed this, you cannot really sneak up behind a grasshopper. They can really see good going backwards in, you know, what's on the side and stuff like that. But actually, you can get them if you go straight towards them because they don't see very good out front. But 
even though they've got five eyes, their eyesight's very poor. And they cannot see very far ahead, straight ahead. So, you know what? You need to have a five-year plan. I'm not saying you have to list out, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 things that you're expecting to do in the next five years, but you should have in your mind an idea of where you would like to be, where you anticipate yourself being five years, and you're determined to get there with the help of the Lord. And you should be able to look beyond five years, and you should be able to have a concept in your mind, and you should also discuss it with your spouse of where you're expecting to be in 10 years. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, I've never thought 10 years out. Well, uh, watch out. You could hear, hear some chirping in the background. That would be the grasshopper trying to get you to uh, never think about your future, never think about the impact or destiny that God has for you or the fullness of it and where that's going. Mm -mm. See, a grasshopper has a little old tiny mindset. It is true that a grasshopper, they can grow, but you know what? The biggest grasshopper, Pastor Stephen, I saw one as long as your finger. That's nice, but guess what? Still just a little bitty grasshopper. That, they can't get big, and they're never going to really get that big. So they're still just these little bitty creepy jumping things. And so you need to have a vision, and you need to let that vision become large. Start thinking larger. Praise the Lord. I want to share something uh, in, in light of these grasshoppers uh, with, let me see if I can properly phrase this, with a glimpse of your destiny that maybe you have, have not allowed yourself to see, but would actually be a reality of something that God has planned for you. Go with me to Genesis chapter 12, and let's see if we can bring this out. Praise the Lord. Verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Now, let's get into the second part of this verse, where God says, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I want to tread slowly on purpose through that statement where the Lord told Abram that he would make his name great. Praise the Lord. I say it with humility, but I also say it with confidence. I know I'm speaking to those, and you know it too in your heart, that God has some things planned for you that in a sense will make your name great, that will make your name great. People will know who you are. And you, you have to be willing to embrace that that is something biblical that God does for people. I, now, I'm talking about destiny, praise the Lord. I'm talking about you stepping into that. But in order to step into that, when you know there's, there's some things that, yes, as this has walked out, it would, it would certainly uh, uh, be... It would be what we would call having a great name. I, I know one preacher who said, look, he said, I understand that my ministry is all over the world, but all, if the Lord had different plans, I'd be happy just to, you know, sit by the side of the river 
and teach a few people and just live my life down there and live a very simple life. And, you know, he said, I, I wasn't seeking anything where there would be what we would call fame or notoriety, much less what we would call a great name. But nevertheless, he has it. Why? That was something that God had planned for him. And I do sense that I'm talking to some that within your heart, you know that that plan that God has uniquely for you will include you going into this realm. So if it does, and I'm talking to you, and I know I'm talking to some, you're going to have to squish some grass, some grasshoppers. <laughs> <laughs> because these grasshoppers with this little old mindset that all, you know, like a grasshopper is just happy to sit on a little leaf and chew it and eat it. And that's his life. He doesn't care. He has no interest in anything else. He, he's a little nobody. So uh, you're going to have to really deal with that grasshopper mentality that may want to hide. And, and maybe, you know, Pastor Stephen, I have no desire to be out in public. Well, God may have, may have different ideas and you may have to, Face up with that reality that that plan of God for you does require, you know, being out in the public, being known. You can't hide anymore. God's bringing you out. Praise the Lord. And so uh, if there's a grasshopper saying, you know, God just wants you to stay a nobody and be uh, behind the scenes for the rest of your life. But that's not God's path for you then you're going to have to deal with that. You're to come out and just say, well, Lord, it is what it is. So I step out and step into what you have for me. Praise the Lord. And for Abraham, it was basically becoming somebody that pretty much everybody in the world knows who he is. Uh, not, well, not everybody, you know, we're talking about anybody that's kind of had exposure to, you know, world history and knowledge of, uh, you know, the, you know, the formation of humanity and so forth. Most people have heard about Abraham. So the Lord certainly kept his word. He said, I will make your name great. Thank you, Jesus. I, um, I think I shared this maybe only once, but I felt led to share it again. My wife and I were in Southern California a couple of years back when a very famous minister died and we knew him, and we knew where the funeral was going to be at, and we thought we should go. Let's go there because we knew him, and I, I hadn't seen him for, for quite some time, over a decade, but I felt it would be good to go to the funeral. He had passed away. I won't say his name, but I will say that because I knew him personally, and I saw him not so much when he ministered. I saw him more as his kind of like um, non-anointed self. I saw him when he was in his office kicking back with his, I saw him, you know, when he was office on his, laying on his couch with his feet propped up, just, you know, relaxed and, you know, shirt, you know, wrinkled and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I saw him when he couldn't find his glasses and things like that. And I saw him when he kind of lost his temper sometimes with his employees. LAUGHTER and I saw some of the uh, humanity of him. So, although the ministry that he oversaw was, it was global. I, I mean, it was, it was all over the world. I, uh, I, for some reason, was kind of always up with the memories of knowing him from his human side. 
not when he's out before all the people ministering and moving in the power of the Spirit and, and all of that. I saw him more from, that, that's the way it was, because he had his ministry, and I, my ministry was growing and developing at that time, so I'm busy doing what I'm doing, he's busy doing what he's doing. So when I did see him, it would never really be in a ministry setting, it would always be kind of when he's just, you know, having time to breathe and relax. So he passed away, so I went to his funeral. And while the funeral was kind of taking place, I didn't really feel grieved or anything like that. I mean, I'm not, not weeping or anything like that. I'm just like he was, you know, he did a, he did a good job and he, you know, many lives were touched. And, uh, and that's kind of an, un, uh, an understatement. There's no telling how many lives were touched. Could, could be literally millions. But anyhow, I didn't really feel like any great sorrow or anything like that. But when it was time for everybody to say their final goodbyes and pass by the casket, and then that's, that's it. They're going to put him in the ground, you know. Um, when I was walking towards the casket, the Holy Spirit came on me, and I began to weep and weep and weep, and then I began to realize how God had used the man. And, the, the, you know, there's a, a long line towards the casket. And, you know, I'm seeing many people that I hadn't seen that were involved with, with this ministry because uh, a lot of people I hadn't seen in maybe 15 years so, um, but as I'm getting closer and closer to the casket, the Holy Spirit's coming all over me and I'm weeping because I'm realizing he really was a servant of the Lord. He, he, he accomplished what the Lord wanted him to do. And when I got up to the casket, now there's a closed casket, you know, the flowers are on top. When I got up to it, I just said goodbye and I named, and I said his name, I said goodbye and I said his name and I touched the casket as a, you know, like goodbye and when I did that, I touched, I touched something in the spirit realm I had never, ever touched before in a sense where it, it became suddenly tangible. And I said, and I said, my Lord, I said, what is that? And you know what the Lord told me? Because the Holy Spirit immediately answered. And the Lord spoke, and the Holy Spirit picked it up, and the Holy Spirit spoke it to me. And the Lord said, it's greatness. The Lord said, I gave him my touch of greatness. See, you can see people in the world that do things from uh, an aspect of they're very smart. They're very brilliant. Maybe they're a good speaker. Maybe they're a great mathematician. Maybe they are a great uh, CEO and a phenomenal business leader. But there's something about the anointing that is so different. It's so uniquely different. Because those outside of the church don't understand that. But that beautiful mystery of the anointing. And when I had touched the casket, I touched the greatness that God had placed on him. Now, I'm not saying a mantle was imparted or anything like that. that. This was not a mantle moment. This was an understanding moment that God can put his greatness upon a person. And it's real. It is just as real as pouring water on somebody. He can pour greatness on somebody. And let me tell you, when he does, you're not the same anymore. Oh, yes. You still have to put your clothes on. You still have to eat your food. You still need to brush your teeth. You're still going to have to use the restroom. But when you stand up to do what he has called you to do, you're different. And you can be touched with that anointing of greatness. Wow, and I was just weeping and weeping, and uh, it was a remarkable moment. And actually, right when I walked past the casket, a man said, Stephen, Stephen, 
He hadn't seen me in 15 years. He was the right-hand assistant of the great man of God that had just died. And he said, he basically asked me, will you come minister tomorrow? <laughs> I said, yeah, let's go minister. And, um, but fascinating, fascinating. So he really was a great man. The man that had passed away, he truly, he had greatness on him. Now, I kind of maybe lost a little bit of that respect for that because I saw, I saw so much of the natural. But it's also encouraging to know that many of God's greatest servants, they're just like you in many, many ways, but that, that, that greatness is on them. So you have to respect that and you have to honor that. The apostle Paul said, give honor to whom honor is due. And that would be officials, governmental leaders, and certainly leaders, generals within the body of Christ. I talked to a, a man one time. He was one of those Christians that maybe you, you would put in a category of like stubborn unteachable. <laughs> and yes, he's, he's saved. He loves God. He's going to heaven. There's, there's area in his life. He didn't get it. Didn't want to get it. And I wasn't going to try to help him. So I, but I asked him a few questions because I saw that he was being uh, disrespectful the way he talked about men of God. I said, let me ask you a question. He said, go ahead. I said, if the president, if you were informed that the president of the United States was landing the, the Air Force One at your local airport, and he's coming to see you with his entourage of officials, but he's coming to see you. And he knocked on your door, and you greeted him. I said, how would you greet him? He said, I'd greet him on a first-name basis. I said, that's what I thought you would do. I said, you wouldn't even address him as president, would you? He goes, oh, no. He goes, I don't believe in doing that. Hmm. I, and I said, if if some of these ministers, and I named some of the great men of God, I said, if, if you were to meet them and shake their hand, how would you address them? Would you say, uh, you, you know, hello, Dr. So-and-so, or hello, uh, Reverend So-and-so, or Pastor So-and-so? He goes, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd just call them by their first name. I said, oh. So there are those that have no understanding of, of greatness. Why? It's not, it's not somewhere where they're going. And because they're not willing to honor it, receive it, or respect it, they'll, they'll never go into any kind of a place like that. But when you know that this is something that God can bestow, that God can give, these unique gifts and these things like that that cause a lifting, praise the Lord. I believe it's because you're going to find yourself in these places too. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's also keep in mind that Wisdom is the ability to discern difference, the difference, for example, in people. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody's the same. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I was, um, I was around a man one time, and uh, uh, he was not in ministry or anything like that. It, he loved the Lord, but, you know, he was, uh, he was a man that loved God, but didn't really read his Bible that much or pray that much. And um, so... Uh, we somehow found ourselves around the sick person, and the sick person said, I need prayer. And this man said, okay. He said, I'm, I'll pray for you. And he said, he said, he said, Stephen, what in the world am I doing? He said, you've got far more horsepower in this area than I do. He said, I, this is not my thing. He said, by, by all means, he said, you pray. What in the world was I about to do? Why, why would I pray when you're standing here? <laughs> but trust me, there are those in the body of Christ that if there was a sick person and they're there, and they have no healing anointing. It doesn't matter. 
They're going to go for it. And it doesn't matter if I'm there. It doesn't matter if Benny Hinn's there. It, doesn't, it wouldn't matter if every great healing evangelist was lined up standing there, that they would have no respect for that. They think that somehow, see, that they don't understand. There's greatness. And the Lord said that I, he told Abram, I will make your name great. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Some of you, um, you need to drop the fake humility and you need to drop the grasshopper mindset and you need to embrace your destiny and realize that with the Lord, you're going places and you're not going to stand before normal people. Always you're going to have times where you're going to stand in very high places and you need to, you need to already get that settled within your heart and remove any kind of grasshopper mentality that would say you don't belong there. Let me tell you, you absolutely belong there. You are being prepped by the Holy Spirit to stand in those places, and it is part of your destiny and calling. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. This is something also that the Lord's still working with some would be in the area of the grasshopper mentality of a wrong self-image and seeing themselves continually as being poor. And there are some in the body of Christ that they're very content to stay in that place. They love grasshoppers. Maybe they even eat them, snack on them. After all, you can roast them, put a little butter, salt on them, maybe a little bit of garlic. Who knows? Maybe they taste good. I don't think so. I, I know that many people do eat grasshoppers, but, you know, they're able to excrete this, this black stuff, uh, well, you know, it's called tobacco juice. It's not really tobacco, but uh, it's like they're able to expel their insides out, the, what they ate or whatever it might be, some of their intestinal juices, and they squirt out this brown, yucky-looking stuff. So I really wouldn't want to eat that. But nevertheless, um, my friends, remove the grasshopper way of thinking concerning finances. Some of you could never see yourself being a millionaire or a multimillionaire. Why? Why? You need to get, a, get away from a grasshopper type thinking. And you need to start reading the word. This is eagle's food. Praise the Lord. You don't need to be feeding on grasshopper food. You need to be feeding on eagle food because you're an eagle saint. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Genesis chapter 13, we're right next to it. Verse 1, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich, livestock in silver and in gold. And that came because of God's blessing upon his life. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to take you into that blessing as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We do see in the book of Galatians chapter 3 that that blessing that was on Abraham now comes upon the believer who is in Christ. Praise God. So you need to allow the Lord to bless you. And he's going to stay consistent, working his word, loving him, living for him. I'm telling you that blessing will come upon you and you'll see it. So let God, let the fullness of the blessing manifest in your life. Oh, I don't want that much. Who said you had to keep it? If it's too much, start giving it away. 
Praise the Lord. Honor the Lord with the tithe. You could give more. You could give 20%. You can give 40%. <laughs> Glory to God. Allow the fullness of God's blessing to come to you. Paul told the church in Rome, when I come, I'm coming with the fullness of the blessing. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, the curse included all of these awful things that you can read about in Genesis chapter, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verse 15 onward. And they were bad, real bad. And included in that curse was all forms of poverty and lack and insufficiency. Pastor Stephen, I'm going to take a vow of poverty. Well, you're connecting with something that would be under the biblical description of a curse. Now, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That would include sickness, disease, and so forth as well. And certainly, sin and spiritual death. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, please drop down to verse 29. And if you are Christ, and you can easily answer that, if you're in Christ, and you, if you've given your heart to the Lord, then you certainly are. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Praise the Lord. I've seen some evangelical Christians get a little bit jealous of the Jewish people and they see the blessing, the prosperity of the Jewish people. And they're like, that's not fair. I'm like, well, they have a covenant with God that God made with Abraham that, that comes upon them. And there's no need to be jealous because when you are in Christ, you are now tied into that same natural blessing of the blessing flowing and working in your life. Remember, Abraham was very rich. And also, you have all of the aspects of the new covenant that now belong to you as well, which is a far better covenant. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So, my friends, allow your thinking not to be grasshopper mentality, but right now, allow it to be larged to a greater measure of blessing. Pastor Stephen, I want to be able to buy somebody's lunch. Hmm. Well, why not just buy, you know, why not just buy a food truck? Why not have a larger picture? Just more, the ability to bless more. Hallelujah. Not just feed one person one time, but feed more. Praise God. A larger ability to bless a larger financial strength. Glory to God. Don't always limit the blessings of God as being spiritual. And they are the peace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. Yes, it, it, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. We love all of that. But it's not only spiritual, but it's natural as well. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let us go to one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. I would put it most likely in the top five of the all time most misquoted verses. Misquoted not only wrongly in the church, 
But somehow even sinners who don't know God, seems like somehow they've picked up on this verse, and they quote it too, and they always quote it wrong. I've never heard one ever quote it right. Praise God. Let's go to it right now. We're dealing with grasshoppers today by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are moving over to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go to chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse 23. You need to expand your way of thinking. Hallelujah. Within the framework of your faith, expand your way of thinking. Enlargement. That is a theme scripture for us this year. Isaiah 54, verses 1 and 2. Enlarge the place of your dwelling. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes. Enlargement. Enlargement. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go to verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now sanctify means to set apart for the use of God. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've never heard one believer ever quote that scripture properly. And most believers also quote it in reverse. They say, body, may, may God bless you, body, soul, and spirit. But that's not what it says. It says spirit, soul, body. Why do they reverse it? Because they're reversed. They're more body conscious than they are spirit. They're more body conscious of their body. Their, their body cravings and desires, and then their soul's cravings and desires. And then finally, last, but certainly least, would be uh, whatever they leave left over for the spirit. So they always quote it, body, soul, spirit. Now, every time you hear it, you're going to realize that, that most people, 99.9% of the time, get it backwards. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. But my friends, you're going to get it in the right order. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. The number one verse that's probably misquoted would be, of course, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, where even the, even the sinners, they like to quote it wrong, which is money is the root of all evil. And many people in church, they like to quote that. Money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Scripture says. Not at all. It's totally taking that out of context and warping that statement says in Scripture that the love of money is the root of all evil. So we have to stay away from the love of it. So if we put it in its right context, it's right back again to being something that's neutral depending on how uh, we treat it. Praise the Lord. And we treat it for a good use. It's like um, radioactive material. It could be dangerous, yes, if misused, but we're going to use it the right way. And if you use it the wrong way, it could hurt you. But we're going to use it the right way, and uh, you can take it to use it to power up your power plants, nuclear power. And now we have uh, the ability to light up a whole city. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So that verse is often misquoted. There's another one, particularly in the church, that's misquoted a lot, which is when it comes to alcohol. It seems that 
those that are just determined to drink alcohol, they may not have any other scripture in the Bible memorized, but for some reason, they bring up that verse, and they'll quote the verse about Paul telling Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach's sake. And see there, Pastor Stephen, we need to drink wine. Then, he, then if you ever ask them, do you have a stomach problem? Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with my stomach. I, I just like to drink it. So uh, they love to drink that. But they can never quote any of the other verses that extol the great danger and destructive ability of what alcohol does to the human body, how it is a destroyer of the lives of many men and women. They'll never quote those verses to you. They'll just say, you know, Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach. Nor do they have any understanding of the types of wines that were used back in biblical days before there were glass bottles and before there were preservatives and before there was refrigeration. So that's a different subject altogether. But the wines were very, very different back then. Why not? Let's go one more. Another scripture that is often taken terribly out of context is the one about Jesus. They think Jesus was poor. And if you ask them, well, why was Jesus poor? Well, it says in the Bible, he had nowhere to lay his head. Even Jesus himself said, foxes, they've got holes and birds. They've got nests, but the son of man, pastor Stephen, he don't have nowhere to lay his head. He just an old homeless vagabond preacher walking around barefoot, just looking for a handout, struggling, and poor, and didn't even have anywhere to sleep at. Well, that's, that is a horrible misquotation of that scripture, taking it terribly out of context, because the only reason Jesus said that is a, a, a man came to him saying, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus basically said, well, you really need to think that over because there's a price tag associated with that, such as we don't have any place to sleep tonight because in context, you read the city, the village they were going to go into and preach. They were met by resistance and the leaders of the city said, we do not want you and your ministry coming into this village. We bar you from coming in. And you know what? There were no holiday inns back in that time. There were no Ramadas. There were no Hiltons, no Hyatts. So that meant, well, we're locked out of the city gate. They've locked the gate. We're too far away from any other place. Boys, pull out your sleeping bags. But that didn't mean that Jesus was some kind of a homeless hobo. No, it just meant that that night they, uh, they couldn't stay in the city. They couldn't stay there because they were not permitted to. So be very, very careful when you present the Word of God because Paul said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And so when we endeavor to share God's word with others. We want to know what it is we're talking about, or you could terribly misrepresent the word of God and lead people in a wrong direction that causes them needless difficulties and suffering because you enforced a wrong thinking or wrong concept that they already had through wrong teaching. I had uh, a ministry partner contact me two days ago and he said, pastor Stephen, what are your thoughts on women in ministry? Because it says in scripture that Paul said he does not allow a woman to speak in church. They're supposed to sit down and shut up. 
<laughs> uh, Pastor Stephen, what do you think about that purse when Paul said that the women need to be quiet in church and Paul doesn't allow a man to speak? Because there's plenty of evangelical preachers that love that one. And they say it's wrong for a woman to be behind a pulpit. It's a great sin for a woman to preach. And yet at the same time while they're saying that, Joyce Myers, Joyce Myers can stand up and out-preach all of them. At the same time they say that, Catherine Kuhlman can stand up and operate in signs, wonders, and miracles that they could never, they could never reach if they tried. At the same time they say that, you see a long line of great women that the Lord has worked through throughout the centuries of church history. Uh, uh, you know, just on and on it goes. Corey Tinboom and um, oh, just all of these women that had a tremendous anointing. And so, what was Paul talking about? So that's why when you read the word, you have to study the word. You just can't grab things and and, and run off with it and say, "Well, this is what it said." Well, what does it mean though? What does it mean? And so, theologians know you have to study. What is being mentioned here is this doctrine, is this doctrine that's being taught, or is this culture that's being shared so that you can culturally know how to handle this when you're in these certain situations? And it was absolutely cultural in that context because in that day, in the first century church, and it was well known, it's very easy to verify this through church history and also through culture, that the women sat on one side of the church and the men sat on the other side. And in the middle, there would be an open aisle area. And so what would happen is that there were often times that Paul would be teaching. He's teaching the Word. And there would be a wife sitting among the women, and she would yell all the way across the aisle, all the way you know, through that crowded group to her husband sitting on the other side and say, I don't understand what he's talking about. What is he talking about? And Paul was saying, look, I, I, I'm forbidding this. This is causing confusion. And he's basically said, you can ask your husband later when you get home, but don't be yelling back and forth. And it was the women that were doing it. Hey, what does he mean by that? So he said, I forbid uh, a woman to speak in these type of situations. And I have ministered in countries. India would be the one that's freshest to my memory. I ministered in India, this one particular church, multiple times. Um, it was a large church, you know, uh, several thousand members. And although it was thousands of members, all the women sat on one side. And it didn't matter if you're married. The women are on, the wives are on this side, and the husbands are on that side. And there was a big aisle in between. So all the women over here, all the men over here. And they still do that today. And there are some, culturals, uh, some cultures where there is that separation. And the last thing you want. And a big meeting like that is the men and women to be talking back and forth while you're trying, trying to preach. And particularly for whatever reason, it was the women that were mainly doing the talking and asking the questions. And look, you've got to have spiritual protocol and you have to have order. The Lord said, let all things be done decently and in order. But by no means was he banning women from ministry. No, there, um, there's many anointed women in ministry today and you have the five ministry offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And while predominantly it is men that fill those positions, yes, women can be called by the Lord into ministry also. And let me say this concerning the Catholic Church. Although the Catholic 
uh, priests or those that we would call ministers within the, uh, the Catholic Church are single. They have to be single to go into the priesthood. That is not something that's held by the Catholic Church as a doctrine. That's more of a, um, like an ordinance that they established. And that was done in the early 1200s. And a lot of the priests at the Catholic priests at that time didn't take it very seriously. So you had quite a few that were still married. But eventually, as uh, you know, by the time you got into the 1500s, that was something that did become pretty much standardized in the Catholic Church. But I'll tell you right now, if the Pope, if Pope Francis wanted to change that, he could change it overnight. And he could allow priests to marry if they wanted to. Because the Catholic Church does not hold that as a doctrine. And the Scripture even says, don't forbid to marry. Don't forbid to marry. Praise the Lord. So uh, we know that Peter was married because the Lord healed his mother-in-law. So that tells us right there he was married. And I believe, actually, that uh, most likely all of the original 12 apostles were married. Now, the Apostle Paul, that's a different, different story, different uh, topic that would take some time to bring in some insight into whether he was married or not married. That's not really important. But, but my friends, we have drifted over into this subject of spirit, soul, and body. And don't let wrong teaching get into your spirit. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Don't let it get into your soul. It'll bring restriction. It'll bring restriction. Don't let it get into your body. Mm -mm. Praise God. So the Holy Spirit will come and he will cleanse. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is such a guide. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Let me, let me loop back just for a second. We know in, in Christian ministry in the sense of the evangelical Protestant church that, sure, if you want to be in ministry and be married, it's totally cool. The Catholic church, they want their priests to be single. They believe it allows them to be more focused upon the calling of ministry. And if it's a, a nun at a convent, they want her to be single so she could be more devoted to the Lord. And there is something about singleness that can be a great springboard for nearness because you don't have to deal with all the other things that, um, you know, that Paul said that the married couple has to deal with. Although you can still be close to the Lord and be married as well. We know that because Enoch was married. But when you look at the three main branches of Christianity, when you look at Protestantism and you look at uh, the Catholic Church and as you look also at the Eastern Orthodox Church, within the Eastern Orthodox Church, they do allow their priest to be married, and there are quite a few who are married. So, my friends, on we go in the Lord. Just understand that whatever you believe, you want to bring it back to Scripture. Uh, bring it all back to Scripture. And it's amazing when the Holy Spirit illuminates uh, the Word. Wow, the wake-up call it is. And I'll, I'll just say this, that while the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is absolutely wonderful, that after after your new birth, uh, new birth experience, after being born again, I mean, the, the second greatest thing after that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. But you must be aware that the infilling of the Holy Spirit can absolutely bring division 
in the sense that suddenly when you get filled with the Spirit, I mean, this, this book starts coming alive in the most phenomenal way. And the person maybe before that was your best friend and you had everything in common and you love, you, you love the same things and you were best friends. Suddenly you get filled with the spirit. You're like, I'm not too, I'm not too cool on this anymore over here. I'm not into that anymore. I see that as being something that's, uh, uh, not, you know, not that good or not that truthful. And so it can cause overnight sometimes separation. And I belong to a denomination that did not believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, did not believe in miracles. Now, they were very strong on salvation, and they were, they were heavy on water baptism. Now, they're going to make sure, have you been water baptized? Are you sure it was all the way under? Was it done in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost? Because it doesn't count if it was just done in the name of Jesus. And they, they were, I mean, they, they could teach for hours and days endlessly on the subject of water baptism, which also was an element of out of proportion. You know, they, they were so big on that. They, they were missing all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> I mean, if you were baptized in your, even if one ear was sticking out, oh, you didn't do it right. It's not right. And so, um, and, and I not, yes, I believe you need to be submersed. The word baptized, it does mean full submersion, which is why in the King James version, they left the word baptized in there. Why? Because many of those translators were Anglican and they believed in sprinkling. And when they were translating from the Greek in the English, they didn't want to put full submersion. Why? Their church doctrine didn't believe in that. <laughs> they were just, we're going to sprinkle some water on you. So they literally left it in the Greek word baptizo or baptize. And nobody knew what it meant except them. So they kind of like, well, we're just going to dodge that bullet. Let some other generation figure it out. Well, we figured it out. It means to get dunked all the way under. Praise the Lord. That's why Philip uh, you know, and talking with the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch said, well, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? So they went down into the water. I mean, he didn't just sprinkle some water on him. No, he immersed him completely under. So yes, we should do it by the book. We should do it right. But after salvation and then water baptism, and then the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Spirit, Yes, just be aware of that because there can be separation. The moment I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I realized that as much as my denomination loved the Lord, they had partial truth and they were camped there and they weren't going to go on to anything else. It doesn't matter if God was dropping gold bricks down from heaven. They didn't want anything to do with it. All they wanted was to stay centered on their truth. They loved it so much and nobody's going to disturb us. And they're still in that undisturbed state today. But I had to go on, praise the Lord. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit illuminating Illuminating the scriptures, and when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly, strangely, it had never happened before, persecution started coming to me. And I had my family, my parents, they thought I'd lost my mind. Oh, Stephen, you've lost your mind. You believe in that crazy tongues business. You've been amongst the Pentecostals. Oh, our son has been influenced by the Pentecostals. <laughs> and they were so concerned and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, tried to take me to certain preachers who could straighten me out. It just made it worse and uh, try, tried to get me to a psychologist and all of this and all psychiatric tests and all of this. And uh, they just thought, oh, he's lost his mind. I said, you know what? I said, I haven't lost my mind. I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I love the Lord. And now I really want to serve him and live for him. But the whole time I was saved, but was just kind of like 
mediocre and carnal and just goofing around and not really into the things of the Lord. The whole time I was like that, you guys thought I was totally fine. But now suddenly, what I want to live for the Lord, and I have a heart for God to serve God, suddenly I've lost my mind. No, I've just gotten the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But you have to be willing to go on. And I know that there are those that are watching, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that not only was your salvation an experience that could have cost you everything, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit is also very, very costly. But you must be willing, literally, if that's what it takes, to lose everything. And I, and I in a sense, did. My parents basically said, we, we don't want any further relationship with you that was cut off. Now, all of the friends that I previously had, it, it, I still loved them and they still loved me, but we didn't, it didn't, it didn't mix like anymore as far as like intimate, deep communion. It, it, could, it wouldn't mi mix because I want to, I'm into the things of God, into the glory and the miracles. And they're just like, Ooh, no, we don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> well, glory, but the Holy spirit will set you apart. Spirit, soul and body. Some of you need to be set apart with your body because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you, you need to respect God more and respect your body more and not just go in front of a doctor and start taking all of your clothes off. Yeah, you want to check this too? Well, let me just take all my clothes off. You're standing nude in front of a doctor and you don't even think about it. Well, and the doctor says, you need to take this. Oh, good. Just shove it down me now. And you need this shot. Oh, good. Stick me again. Give me a double shot. And it's just like you let all kinds of people do all kinds of things to your body. Your body is holy. Your body's holy. You need to think about what you're putting into it, what you're allowing yourself to listen to, hear, see, uh, 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 who's touching you and all of that. You need to be aware of all of that stuff. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Sanctified, set apart with your body, with your soul, your thought life, your emotions, your feelings, all of that submitted to the Holy Spirit because your body is going to have desires. They need to be sanctified. Your soul is going to have desires. It needs to, all, all that stuff needs to be filtered and sanctified. So it's in alignment with God's word, his will. But then your spirit, your spirit leads spirit, soul, body. Mm -mm. When Adam was in the garden before sin ever happened. Have you ever wondered how long he was there before he sinned? No, you know, it was, we know that it was his wife that sinned. But there was also a responsibility that uh, Adam certainly carried with that. Because somebody should have grabbed a hoe or a rake and should have killed the snake. But anyhow, the snake's there doing his thing. And uh, Eve, especially, sh shouldn't have been around that tree. But I used to wonder, Lord, how long were they in the Garden of Eden before uh, Eve blew it and now, you know, Adam's lost the authority and now they're out. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me that they were there for seven years in the perfect scenario, God's blessing in this beautiful garden. And they were enjoying everything that God had for them. And then I was allowed to find some old documents that were written by many of the old, uh, what you would call the mystic saints. And they said they had encounters uh, supernatural encounters, and they, they also had the same question. And they were told in these various encounters with like an angel or something like that, that it was the same thing, seven years. They were in the garden for seven years. 
Now, that doesn't matter. We could call that extra-biblical. If you choose to believe it or not, that's totally fine. It's not a doctrinal issue. So we're just having some fun right now talking about those types of things. But when Adam was in that garden, he was dominant, number one, spirit. And he and his wife actually didn't even have any clothes on. They were covered with the glory of God. So they were dominant spirit. And then the second would be the soul realm, their intellect, their emotions were rock solid. And they were brilliant. Adam naming all of the animals and getting every name correct and fitting for that uh, particular animal. So he was a genius. And then also the body was in order. There was no sickness, no disease or anything like that. No lack. Everything was perfect. But when sin came in, and they were forced out of that beautiful place, suddenly it's now reversed. It's now body is first, the cravings of the body. And a lot of that can also be a misdirection because it's the base crude nature of man desiring things that God says that's out of bounds. So now that's trying to have dominance. And so you have the body, then you have the soul, and your soul has... A lot of desires. It could want a million different things under the sun, and you could have it and still never be satisfied. It's always grasping, always wanting more. And so that should not be leading either. But you do meet sometimes people from time to time, they are soul dominant in that in the area where they're they're intellectually dominant and to the great neglect of their spirit. So they feed their their intellect and they're perhaps brilliant. And they're thinking, brilliant, and they're talking. Maybe they could read and write and do all of those things real well, but their spirit is starving. It's like their spirit is emaciated. And you have to remember that you are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in your body. When you die, the body, is, um, which is the house that you live in, it will, in a sense, just remain there, fall to the ground, so to speak. And you're, you're going to leave. Your, your spirit and soul are going to leave. But one day, your body will be resurrected. It doesn't matter if your body, uh, you know, if you're on a boat and you went to the bottom of the ocean, or you were buried traditionally, or you, you were, you know, burned up in a fire or something like that. It doesn't matter. God's going to take all those minute uh, atoms and uh, the, your molecular structure, and He's going to bring it all back. And you're going to get a brand new glorified body. And you'll step back into that glorified body. Praise the Lord. And in the interim, when you die, your, your spirit and soul do not go in the soul sleep. That is a wrong teaching. The moment you die, your spirit and soul go to be with the Lord. Praise God. But one day, yes, you're going to get your body back, and it will be a glorified body. So in heaven, the only ones walking around in heaven that would have a physical body still would be Enoch, okay, because he was translated. He never saw death, and also would be the prophet Elijah, he also was caught up, so physically he never died. So we know they, they're up there with bodies, but even still, that's not yet their glorified bodies. That's just their, the bodies they had while they were on the earth. And we know that the Lord, He has a resurrected body, but His body is different uh, in a sense where it is that glorified body. Praise the Lord. Now, should you ever see the Lord in a vision or a supernatural encounter, understand that he has the ability because he's God to dial down that glory so he can uh, talk to you or communicate with you in a realm where or in a way where you can actually 
uh, converse with him because yes, he's, he's all man, but yet he's all God, but he can dial it down. So there can be conversation. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-mm. I feel like I'm bouncing around a little bit in the spirit, but while I'm bouncing around, I'm stomping grasshoppers. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, he removes uh, a grasshopper mentality, the way you see yourself and thus also the way others see you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So it's very important to be filled with the Spirit and not only filled with the Spirit, but to stay freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. It will do many, many things for your life. One of those things is Acts chapter 4. And this is a big grasshopper stomper right here. Acts chapter 4. This anointing of the Holy Spirit is very, very much transforming. Acts 4 verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've already had Acts chapter 2. The baptism into the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, and the evidence of speaking in tongues to validate that. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, and he goes into this talk that's loaded with boldness and strength. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Yes, they have been with Jesus, but they've also now been filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the way that you view yourself, the way that you view others, and the way that others view you. The Holy Spirit is able to take the Word and illuminate it and allow you to see it and walk into it and live it. And he has many adventures, many experiences for you. I've had two supernatural encounters where by the power of the Lord in a visionary experience, I have actually been taken literally into the word. Praise God. One time I was in a meeting uh, sitting on the front row and a very well-known prophet was speaking, and he and I knew each other. And he said, um, he said, speaking to me, he said, as he was talking, he stopped, he saw me. He said, James, it's good to see you again. And everybody in the audience said, he's Stephen. And he goes, oh, he said, James, yes, it's good to see you. And people went, no, it's, he's Stephen. He goes, <laughs> he said, Stephen, I don't know why I said that. He goes, yes, we all know you. He said, Stephen, good to see you. And would you believe the very next day, the Holy Spirit came and in a vision took me into the book of James and walked me through the book of James. And I had it happen one time also when he took me into the book of 1 Corinthians. I, I saw it. I saw the scripture. I saw the word as a living structure. Woo, praise the Lord. I remember I told uh, my friend, Dr. Wade Taylor, the, uh, found, the founder of Pinecrest Bible College, I told Dr. Wade about it, and he said, he said, Stephen, he said, that used to happen uh, from time to time with old-time Pentecostal preachers. He said it happened to uh, John Follett, the mystic saint. They would be taken into the Word, and they would not only see the Word, but you see the, you see the context, the mode 
of the spirit or, or the mood of the spirit, because sometimes you can read something, but you're like, it's, how was the tone of that when it was said or written? And you can see all of that when you're taken into the word. But my friends, the Holy Spirit, he's the one that reveals all of that. And I had one other experience where I was taken into one chapter of the book of Job, not into the whole book, but I was taken into a chapter of the book of Job, Job chapter 39. And the Holy Spirit walked me into it and showed me the tone of God speaking to Job and the, and the conversation that was taking place. <laughs> it was one, uh, one of the most unusual things I'd ever seen. And it was a different tone than what I had thought because I was taught growing up in church that God was really putting Job in his face, really squishing him underneath his thumb, really correcting him and setting him straight. It was totally different. Uh, the, the God's love and mercy uh, conveyed in that chapter were just, uh, it was, it was off the charts. Praise the Lord. But these are things that are revealed by the spirit of God. So my friends allow the Holy spirit to work with you. There are some truths in the word you cannot get over to people if you were to sit down and take them line by line, measure upon measure, scripture upon scripture, and try to expound it to them. They're not going to get it. But the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, you can get more in 15 minutes than you could. I'll be honest, in 15 years. I was in a conference once in Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, Israel. And uh, uh, an older minister of mine, uh, an older minister, a friend of mine was ministering. Now, he's passed on to heaven now. He was the last speaker at the conference. Me and the other speakers, we had already spoken. And so, he's the last speaker. And he's speaking on a Friday afternoon, and we're getting real late into the afternoon, and we're getting real close to the Sabbath. And as you know, everything in Jerusalem shuts down. And uh, this was also a hotel where the conference that was being held at that was under the authority of, you know, the rabbinic council. And so they have the ability not only to close down your meeting, they can shut the hotel. They can close down the entire hotel. There's one rabbi. He can close, he can shut it all down. If you're not, if you're not done before a certain time, you're getting too close to that Sabbath. They'll shut, they'll shut the whole hotel down. <laughs> no food, nothing. So, um, so our friend was the last speaker. And the conference host told him, he said, listen, I know that normally you've got like an hour and a half to minister. He said, you've got 15 minutes. And, you know, the minister said, 15 minutes? How can I do all of this in 15 minutes? He said, I don't know. But that rabbi is standing right over there. And he has told me that if you're not done, completely done in 15 minutes, he's shutting everything down. I mean, he'll flip the lights off. <laughs> if it, you're not done in 15 minutes, it's, we're in trouble. He said, you've got to do it in 15 minutes. Okay, so he goes up there. And, you know, it's maybe 800, 1,000 people in the meeting. He goes up there, and the moment he started talking, the Holy Spirit came on him so strong. He only spoke for 15 minutes, and it literally felt like while he's teaching, while he's talking, we all had the same sensation that we're sitting under a waterfall where revelation was gushing so fast. It was a force of truth and revelation that after 15 minutes, I, I was like, I can't take this anymore. And everybody else was like that too. If it had gone one more minute, we would, you're going to implode. You can't take it. <laughs> it's too much glory, too much revelation. Whew. 
And when he finished, he was just like, he was like drained. It, it was just like God was pouring such truth through, through him. Glory to God. Woo. And that's one of those things. Also, you had to be in the meeting. I'm sure there's a tape of it or a video of it out there. But in the meeting, the, the anointing and the weight of the glory was just flowing, flowing. Now catch it. Catch it. Pick it up by the Holy Spirit. What he is saying right now, where he is moving right now, the thrust of what he is doing right now. Woo! Glory to God. Get into the secret place. Seek the Lord. Mm -mm. There are some women you question your call because you think I'm a woman. But God has called you. And there is an anointing that he wants to place upon you. And he's going to put it on your tongue. That is a calling and an anointing to preach. And there could be a, sens a sensation. My wife, when she was baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, she had her eyes closed because she was evangelical Protestant for many years. And so, you know, Pentecost was new to her. So she closed her eyes. And when she closed her eyes, she had this, the, this distinct sensation of somebody shoving paper, a scroll, into her mouth. And she's swallowing it. And they keep putting paper into her mouth. And, but she didn't open her eyes. She thought, well, this is so new to me. Maybe this is what they do here. Maybe they shove paper in your mouth. And when she told her pastor that later, who ended up becoming my pastor also when I met her, when she told her pastor that, he laughed. He said, no, that's, he said, no, nobody was shoving any paper in your mouth. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. But yet that's what was going on. But of course, you read about that in Ezekiel. Uh, he ate the scroll. You read about that in John the Revelator in the book of Revelation. He was given the scroll and told to eat it. And so she was given a scroll to eat because that was, that was a message and an anointing that God was giving to her as a minister of the gospel. And there's many women right now that you've discerned over the over the years a, a calling but you've not known how to respond and maybe you have even been told God doesn't call women to ministry you were given wrong information maybe it was given sincerely but it's wrong and so there's an anointing upon your tongue maybe a fire upon your shoulders a burning within your heart even as the two disciples on the road to Demaeus said did not our hearts burn within us while he talked why why because as he's talking it's just exploding revelation that's just like as we would say in our vernacular hey you're blowing my mind okay so it's, it's such an explosion of truth you're just you're trying to keep up with it praise God receive it receive the anointing and receive a confirmation by the Holy Spirit glory to the Lord mm -mm. before any sending out trust me there's always a commissioning. I mean, look, we've got that figured out in the natural. Nobody launches a boat without commissioning that ship. And the Lord never launches anybody without commissioning them. So if there's a true, a call, a true calling, a true uh, sending that God has for you, trust me, uh, you, will, you will know that. You will have your moment, your encounter with the Lord. So, Father, we thank you. We seal that in Jesus' name. Praise God. Father, bless your people. We thank you. For your word in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. There's a lot of uh, heavenly revelation flowing right now. Just receive. It's like colors are coming down. And that's uh, the spirit of wisdom flowing. The seven spirits of the Lord. Uh, mentioned in Isaiah chapter 1. Excuse me. Chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. They're each represented by a different color. So you have the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom. And the spirit of knowledge. The spirit of counsel. The spirit of might. 
the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I think I missed one somewhere in there, but they're all there, verses 1 through 3. So, But they're also represented by different colors. The spirit of knowledge, the color yellow. Uh, the spirit of wisdom, the color red, and so forth. There's a different teaching on that, why those colors relate to that. But that's, that's coming down right now upon you. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you for revelation knowledge flowing. And we thank you that it's in... A lot of that's in association with the ministry of your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Father, for the fresh oil and the anointing of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. If you're watching today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, He's waiting right now for you to call upon Him. And if you do, He'll save you from all of your sins and give you His new eternal life within your heart. If you would like to receive Him, as Savior and Lord, will you commit your whole life to Him? Pray right now. Don't wait another moment. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died to save sinners like me. Jesus, come into my heart. I choose you right now as my Lord and Savior. Wash all of my sin away. Give me your new life. Write my name in your book of life. Jesus, thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. My friends, he has heard your prayer and he has saved your soul. Praise God. Now live for him. Live for him and enjoy him all the days of your life. Praise the Lord. By the way, those of you who have made that prayer, your next step is to get water baptized. So you need to find somebody, a mature believer, perhaps even a minister, maybe somebody that's influenced you to make this decision. You need to find somebody that can lead you into water baptism. Praise God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, let's take Holy Communion. Grab some unleavened bread, a little wafer, and grab some grape juice. The reason it's, as we would say, unleavened is because leaven was always a type of sin. And we're going to use unleavened bread. Praise the Lord. Let's pray over it and sanctify it, which means to set apart as holy. Father, we thank you for the bread, the juice. We consecrate it through this prayer as being holy. We thank you this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. And Father, whenever we take communion, we thank you. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We thank you that he is coming back. And so, Father, we thank you that he died for us. And through his death at Calvary, he made redemption available for us from sin. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father God, for full redemption. We thank you for his body, bruised and beaten and, and all kinds of very difficult things. They tore his back up. All of a sudden, they ripped his beard out, punched him in the face, nailed him to a cross. And Father, we receive his body. We thank you that he took all of that and all of our sin so that we could be free from the curse of the law. Father, we thank you. We thank you for it. And we believe it. We step into it. We receive his body now. And all of his benefits in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive.
the Holy Spirit will always, 100% of the time, always exalt Jesus. He will always reveal Jesus. He will magnify Jesus. That is His ministry. And He will bring you closer to the Lord and give you greater understanding of Him. Yes, He is a teacher teaching about Jesus. He's a consoler, the counselor, giving us insight into Jesus. Praise God. Father, thank you for the blood of our Savior. As we receive it, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the shed blood of Christ, for the redemption of our sins. We have committed any sin that we ask that you would forgive us. Any sins knowingly or even unknowingly, we ask that you would forgive us. And we forgive anybody who has sinned against us. Thank you, Father, for your protection from the evil one. We thank you for keeping us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. My friends, say goodbye to the old grasshoppers. It's gotten real quiet. You're not hearing the chirping. Now I'll let, let the word affect your mind and let the Holy Spirit minister to you and rest upon you and reside fully within you. And you'll see that the Holy Spirit and his anointing truly does make all the difference.